Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Eccentric, the makers of the K-Box and the new K-Pulley. Guys, flywheel training's really grown in popularity of late, and although it's something that's been around for a while, the simple reason that it's grown in popularity is because it works. We've been lucky to have a K-Box in our weight room for the past three years, and we've seen some really great things when it comes to improving the athlete's ability to change direction, and then looking at our return to play protocols with different lower body injuries with the student athletes. The love-hate relationship that everyone has with the K-Box is now just going to grow more with the addition of the K-Pulley. The ability to do standing presses, pulls, rip-throughs, and knee drive exercises is just going to be another arsenal to our training and another addition to the love-hate relationship that our student-athletes have with the awesome tools that come from Eccentric. Go ahead and hop over to Eccentric.com today to check out what they have. Guys, I can't recommend it enough, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed not just with the products, but with the awesome customer service that Eccentric provides. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content that it provides, make sure you hop over and check out the all-new Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is a combination of the CVA SPS community and the Rugby Strength Coach community, bringing you what is sure to be the Internet's leading resource for continuing education for strength and conditioning professionals. Combining these two resources has allowed us to bring some of the best content from some of the best minds in the world together for your one-stop shop to better improve the continuing education for not just yourself, but your entire staff. Bringing together all of the lectures from the Rugby Strength Coach community, along with the lectures exclusively done for the Central Virginia Sport Performance community, and all the lectures performed at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar, make this an absolute must for performance coaches around the world. The world-class lectures at the Strength Coach Network are not all that you'll see as well. The discussion in the forums and the support and the career guidance from some of the top practitioners in the world, from people all over the world, makes this an absolute must and a great place for you to network, learn, and grow as a performance professional. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS, that's C-V-A-S-P-S, to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. We're sure you're going to find great value in the Strength Coach Network and are really excited to have you involved. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS to check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we have an absolutely awesome discussion. We are going to sit down and talk about connecting with athletes across different sports and cultures with Nick Grantham. Guys, after a quick little rundown of, of Nick's career and how he got to where he is, he really just dives right into, you know, connecting across multiple sports, including like cultures, not just within the sport, but like the different cultures of the sport and the athletes coming into them uh, and, and some strategies that he's had some really good success with. One of which is this idea of positive pollution. And I think that it's really an interesting term and understanding how being shoulder to shoulder with athletes and working with them better is really going to help impact their reaction to the program. So he, he then really gets into a number of ways that, that he's improved as a practitioner when it comes to working more with his athletes as opposed to being a dictator and, and how language, vernacular, and like even things like dress have had a huge impact on, on how these athletes adapt, evolve, and move forward with him. Guys, this is really an awesome talk. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Nick, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. 
No worries, Jay. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, man. Listen, I'm really excited about this one. So uh, for like the, the person and a half who doesn't know where you are and what you're doing, let's let's give them the, the Spark Notes version to catch them up on uh, where Nick is, how he got there, and what he's getting into. Okay. Um, so how I got here was a fairly fairly circuitous sort of route. I, I left school when I was 16, um, went into a, a safe financial services job worked in a bank and an insurance company for six years and I was horrific at that um, and then through my own sport started reading for the first time really into things like nutrition and how to make weight and all of a sudden I got an interest in in sports science I guess and a colleague who was also on on the same team as me was at university I didn't even know you could go to university to do sports science I thought you just went to do maths and English and biophysics um, and, and this sort of whole world opened up. I went back to night school, uh, studied human biology, got, fortunately I was quite good at a sport. So that kind of helped my entrance into the, into university, scraped into university as a mature student and then worked, worked my ass off, uh, for three years, got my undergraduate sports scientist and then postgraduate in exercise and nutrition science. And then again, I think like really fortunate that in the UK at that point we'd done really poorly at the Atlanta Olympics around about 96 I think that was um and the the UK and GB uh said you know that can't happen again I think we only picked up one or two medals so there was a massive investment in sport and sports science support and I was very fortunate to sort of graduate just as that that was hitting um, so my first job was with the British gymnastics team as a sports scientist, um, which was great. I mean, probably still to this date, my favorite sport to have worked with, um, phenomenal athletes. Uh, but I was a sports scientist and that wasn't really exciting me that much, taking bloods and measuring body composition between the testing dates. How did people go from being unfit to fit? So again, strength and conditioning, didn't really exist in the UK in the in the late 90s, but I've got colleagues and friends who work in America, um, and I knew that it was going to come over to the UK pretty soon. So, um, sat my NSCA. That was all you could do at the time. Um, got my qualification as a C coach, and I started working um, with England netball. Um, and then, after a number of years prepping them for Commonwealth Games, I moved across to the English Institute of Sport, which was a uh, national. Um, organization to to support any um elite athlete really going to a major championships and that's really where i was fortunate to work across about 20 different sports within our area um training olympians and paralympians uh, to compete across uh well four, four olympic cycles I've, I've worked across um in in 2007 i then decided that it was probably about time that i'd try something different so i went it went out alone, uh, left the English Institute of Sport, set myself up as a, a private consultant uh, and moved to the northeast where my, my family, my wife's family are from. And since then, I've worked in uh, as a consultant in professional football, uh, basketball uh, and golf and downhill mountain biking. So uh, I'm very fortunate, really, to, to sort of not have a proper job, just get to wear shorts and T-shirt every day and, and work with probably some of the best athletes uh, in, in the country. So I'm very, very lucky. I love it. And that vast array of athletes that you get to work with have kind of brought you to a kind of a, a, a new learning experience for yourself. 
yeah absolutely i think um i've always i've always felt that i'm a specialist generalist and that i see the ability to work across multiple sports as a real strength of mine um but i appreciate that some colleagues go deep into a niche and want to work solely in one sport and i think there's pros and cons of the, of the two but i think most recently sort of 22 years into into coaching i'm starting to see that uh you know trying to make sense of how do you work across different sports are there there's always going to be differences but what are the commonalities of how you set up a structure, how you communicate with athletes, how you get your message across? Um, and we, we were talking just before about, I think I'm a chameleon. Um, at essence, I'm the same person, I'm the same strength and conditioning coach. But the way that I have to act and communicate and disseminate my knowledge and get my coaching points across will be very different to when I'm working with a downhill mountain bike athlete to when I work with a professional soccer player. Um, what's acceptable in one sport will be very different in the other. The X's and O's might be very similar, but how you deliver it is is different. So that, that's kind of really what I'm getting interested in, the, the subtleties of, of your coaching. Yeah, and I think that looking at those you know, three that you're really diving deep in right now with, not just the the subtleties and the nuances of the sport, but just the vastness of the international presence can be such a challenge with that. How has that impacted, I don't know, how do we say this? The uh, the layers of the chameleon, if we may. So go, go on, explain a little bit more what you mean about, like, in terms of the international nature, what, um, what are you thinking? Yeah, so like, you know, when you're dealing with the football guys, you know, I mean, obviously they're not all going to be from the aisles. Sure. So there's going to be – you're going to be juggling hats with them in this sort of sense. So what are some tactics and some methods that you've seen and, and ways that you've been able to to work the room better and, and to really get, you know, these, these young men to buy in and to be more attuned, especially like – I mean, like there's a lot of – there's a lot of soccer players that if they're not allergic to the, to the weight room, I mean, it might almost <laughs> be like you need an EpiPen. You know, when they get near it. Um, so how does that how does that work? How do you get those guys with so many cultural differences involved? So I think, um, I mean, it's in, interesting. So there's, there's a lot of cultural differences from overseas, but even cultural differences between sports. Um, and um, you certainly see, like, the rugby community will look at the football community and kind of pour scorn on them and go, I can't believe they don't train, they don't do this, they don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but you've got to understand historically where that sport's come from. Rugby, for example, similar to probably American football, uh, is a physical sport. The physicality is obvious. You know, you're going to have big hits. You need to be prepared for that. Whereas traditionally, a sport like football, uh, uh, soccer, wasn't, um, it wasn't as obvious, the physicality. It could be a more technical, tactical game. Um, so you could have players that were technically gifted but not necessarily as physically fit and robust as they needed to be that's changed now certainly in the uk with the inception of the premier league the game has transformed over the last 10 15 years it's com a completely different animal and to be successful you've got to be strong you've got to be powerful you've got to be able to go game after game so i think that physicality is now starting to come to the forefront of a an athlete's a, a player's mind so i think part of part of getting your message across is understanding the history of your sport and, and where those players are coming from. Um, the, the other aspect, which was a bit of an epiphany for me, which came from a colleague, um, 
so it's easy to get annoyed with people that don't embrace strength and conditioning. But there's only there's only a few people that like strength and conditioning. Strength and conditioning coaches, powerlifters, weightlifters, and crossfitters. They're probably the four strange people that actually like lifting for lifting, right? So I think um, those groups aside, why does someone start playing football? Why does someone pl- start playing cricket, hockey, rugby? My son plays under sevens rugby. At no point is he asking me as a seven-year-old to go into the weight room. He plays rugby because he likes playing with his teammates. He likes running with the ball, scoring tries, doing all those things. And that's what I think a lot of S&C coaches and I certainly lost sight of. I thought strength and conditioning was the be-all and end-all. And I'd forgotten that the reason that the players, you know, strength and conditioning was kind of to help them be a better player. Um, So once I started to make that connection between, okay, what do they need to do to be able to perform? How can I sell that to them? And and not necessarily just be, you've got to get in the gym, you've got to lift, you've got to do weights, trying to trying to make the connection, trying to connect the dots between, okay, you are a centre forward or you're a downhill mountain biker or you're a female basketball player. Let's connect the dots between what I would like you to do in the gym and what you want to be able to achieve out on court or on the downhill run or on a football pitch. And I think once I realised, do you know what? There's only four weird groups of people that like to lift for the sake of lifting that that was a big uh, change in the way I coached um, so yeah I think that's that's really useful and and then the other one of the other things Jay is a colleague of mine talked about positive pollution so again I used to be this guy in the gym that if someone was doing bicep curls or or like a vanity ab session I'd lose my mind. I'm like, what? This isn't functional, whatever that means. This isn't sport specific. And I'd, I'd kind of be, get out of the gym. We don't need you in here. And then I realized if they're not in the gym, they're not actually training. And, and my, my colleague said, Nick, what did you want when you were 20, 21, 22? You wanted a six pack, you wanted biceps. So that's what they want. Even though they're a pro soccer player or they're a downhill mountain biker, there may be other reasons why they want to train. So rather than, throw people out find a way of embracing that this idea of positive pollution like okay if you're going to do a beach weight session because it's coming to the summer let's take two of your exercises even if you think they're contraindicated and not the greatest exercise and let's add on six of my exercises so that we get overall a a training effect and and at least then they're in the gym and they're working so um i think over more recent years i've become a little bit more relaxed with what's acceptable i don't just let chaos ensue but i'm probably a little bit more sneaky about how i write my programs and how i engage with my athletes i love that idea of positive pollution that's something that we i mean i i'm not smart enough to have thought of that term but that's something we've really harnessed you know with the the guys that we get to work with because it's you know like on these off days would you rather than go to the rec center and do something stupid to try to show off for a co-ed, or do you say, yo, boys, come on in. You want to arm farm? We can arm farm. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's an off day. What's a few sets of buys, tries, or a couple extra sets of bench really going to do to them in the long run? Well, one of the one of the first athletes I worked with was a gymnast, and um, he had arms like Popeye anyway. You know, the guy was stacked, but he always wanted to do bicep curls at the session. I'm like, you're not doing bicep curls. You don't need to, you know – I had all these reasons in my mind why it wasn't a good exercise. And we've stayed close friends ever since. And a couple of years ago, he said, Nick, 
you know you never let me do bicep curls? I was like, yeah, I know. I never let you do them. He says, after every session, once you've gone home, I went back in the gym and I did my bicep curls anyway. So so he's doing them anyway, so I may as well embrace it and at least I know what I'm modifying and changing rather than him doing something crazy, like you say, away from you. You've got no idea how that impacts on your, your program. Yeah, and then on top of that, like showing that you're flexible and willing to yeah. work with them yeah, and for them is, and is that, important. That, that's, that's a... That's a key thing. I think um, it, it's about sort of leading. I talk about standing shoulder to shoulder with with the athletes. It's like shared ambitions. Like we want, we all want to do the same thing, and it's it's about figuring out what do you need to do now to win. What do you need? How do you want this session to be? How this is something we've gone through with the mountain biker who, who's been very successful, one of the most successful downhill is in the world, and coming towards the end of her career, and the conversations we've had is like. Look, we can we can do that season again, but it's brutal. It's brutal on your body. It's it's psychologically it's it's really challenging. So, how do you want this season to look? Do you want to just train, train, train and race, or do you want to have some downtime with your family? Do you want to do some sessions? Do you are you? She loves rock climbing, and again, I'd be like, well, we rock climbing. Do you know what? That's probably far better that you go away and do some rock climbing sessions because it gives you a bit of headspace. There's probably going to be some conditioning in there as well. And they'll be a much happier person, far more likely to continue with their other training as they go through. So it's this I, I'm a lot more flexible in, in the way that I put programs together. And I, and I, and again, guess what? It takes you like 20 years to realize that the athletes actually often know um, far more than you do about what they need and how to get themselves in shape and how to keep themselves motivated. So that, that two-way street listening uh, is, is really important. You know, I, I just want to piggyback off a couple things, and we'll hit the first one first. I think that it's funny, you know, people talk about, oh, the longer I've been in the game, the more I realize I don't know, but I think that what's even funnier is, like, the longer more people end out doing this, the more they reach back to the athlete, and they're like, you're probably right. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's interesting, because Eric Helen spoke about that when, you know... With the Bulls, he talks about how athletes are really the PhDs of their sport, and you know yeah. now you bringing this up like these like this woman has probably been mountain bike uh, biking longer than either of us have been coaching. Yeah, like who are we to tell her what's a thousand percent best for her? Yeah, well, we had a conversation yesterday. We we had a call yesterday uh, where she'd been working through some ideas for some upper limb conditioning. She kind of written them down and, and sent them across to us. And do you know what? 99% of it was on point and absolutely what she needed to do. And I said, all, all I need to do now is just maybe adjust the, the sequencing of what you're doing because all of this stuff's good, but let's see if we can put it into a sequence. And it, it's like she's come up with a solution that works for her. I just need to polish it a little bit. Um, so it's kind of like understanding your role in the, in the, in the support, I guess, of, of the athletes and the coaches. Yeah, and then allowing them to be the people that you're working with. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a lot of coaches that think it's all about them, uh, whereas I, I, I like to sit one step removed and be, be in the shadows, really, and just let them, you know, support them from, from the shadows is, is the key. 
Yeah, especially too when you're you're looking at someone like this, which which brings me back to the the second point that you know you brought up that I thought was really neat. I think that too, one thing that we see with younger coaches that, again, people that I think that have been in these games for a long time, you kind of start as like this crazy generalist when you're straight out of school, and everything's got to be strength or this or that. But then when you come full circle, looking at that and being like, rock climbing is probably awesome for you because it has zero to do with you getting on a bike and it lets you clear your head and you enjoy it and you're going to get your fitness work in if that's what you want to call it. It's just funny to me how so many people who have been involved, like things like this repeat, but it's like... You know, let them get away and do what they like to do sometimes too, you know, like chill, like they well, can have yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that, that's been the, the biggest thing for me working in action sports recently is, is this idea of, um, yeah, just being a little bit more relaxed about what you do and how you go about it and not being as formulaic with everything that goes on, uh, in, in your program. So yeah, it, it's a hundred percent figuring out, especially with these guys who are coming towards the end of their careers, have been riding and racing for a long time. Do they want a very strict, rigid program? Probably not. Are they going to flourish with something that's a little bit more uh, intuitive and where they can make some of the, a little bit more autonomy in the way that they train? And, and you know, that that's the key is uh, giving them sort of menus and electives that they can select themselves. And, and I kind of just direct them. I say, look, this is how your week should look. This is ideally what, what I think we should put in, but you know, depending on the scenario, you know, you choose what's going to work best for you. Yes. And I think that with that too, like you brought up with her, they know, like if you're bringing a kid in or a vet in or whatever it may be, and you're like, what do you like? What's working? What's important? Unless they have some sort of injury, 99% of them are not going to take the big rocks out that you think are important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes that part cool because it's like, all right, well, they understand. So now we can plug and play with where they see things. Yeah, for sure. So then, Nick, then then where do you see this going? Like, how do you see this evolving? You know, you're a guy that, I mean, you've, you've been at the top of the top. You've seen some of the best of the best, how they do these things. And, how do you see this now moving forward, especially now with the coming of age of, of, of this thing? And, and yeah. you know, I mean, shoot, like we're on the other side of the world just rapping about training right now. Like, how do you see this moving forward and, and this progressing with how we handle these athletes? So, so I think, uh, I don't know if it's the same in the U.S., but certainly because of the strength and conditioning is probably in its infancy really still you know we're only probably talking 10 15 years with a formal organization so i think we've seen a massive growth in undergraduate and postgraduate certifications in uh, strength and conditioning which probably means that the graduates today are far more knowledgeable than someone like me 22 years in um however i think what's probably not being taught as well as it can be across all the universities there'll be some examples where they do really good work is is this idea of actually coaching so i think you know they're very good at 
putting spreadsheets together. They're very good at the X's and O's and the technical execution. But I think actually standing in front of an athlete or a group of athletes and getting them to do what you want them to do ultimately, which it, which is normally not what they want to do, you know, unless they're CrossFitters and then they'll be all over it. Um, you, I think it's that subtlety of actually being a coach, which is maybe something that's been been lost over over the years. Um, and I certainly know that some of the best coaches in the UK in in history were sort of former phys ed teachers and where, where that, that kind of coaching pedagogy was really important. Um, so I think we need to maybe get back to that so that we can communicate effectively. And I know some of my colleagues in the UK maybe haven't wanted to embrace social media and WhatsApp and, and various platforms of communication. And it's all got to be about the Excel spreadsheet. And I'm very much, I'll work in the space that the athlete lives in. And if the athlete lives on Instagram, that's where I'm going to, I'm going to live there as well. So I can see what they're doing. And that gives me, I've had some great examples where they've told me one thing and then I've seen on their Insta feed, something totally different that they're doing that weekend. So I, I can you get that inside look. And the way I write my programs now are formatted so that when someone opens it on their phone, it, it fits on the page of that screen and they can read it on their phone without having to flip through. So it's much more graphically represented. It's much more, you know, there's a lot more use of imagery. Uh, I use their language. That's something else that I've, I don't call exercises always by what we traditionally know. If someone calls it a flush and reset, it's going to be a flush and reset. That means absolutely nothing to me, but for them, that's a recovering regeneration exercise. If, you know, if it's called chicken wings, it's called chicken wings. Like, I'm not married to the traditional terms. Um, if, if the athlete understands what it is, then that's what we call it. Well, and I think too, you know, and, and I've been kind of the, the guy beating this drum the most, you know, about vernacular and how it's important and how it leads to so many wires being crossed because we call things different things shoot within my office let alone from the u.s to the uk to australia um yeah but you gotta you gotta like going back to where you started all this with you gotta be a chameleon and be able to talk their language otherwise i mean it's you're not gonna do well just speaking English at Barcelona, you know, you got to know who you're talking to, how to talk to them and, and how to get them to do what you got to do. Yeah. There's, there's examples of my wife's listened to me on the phone to some of the action sport athletes and she comes on she's like, you do know you're 46, don't you? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, I've just heard you say sweet and gnarly and shredding. And, and she's looking at me like, that's not how you speak. I'm like, but that's how I speak to them. And that's perfectly acceptable to those that there's so a colleague of mine, Darren Roberts has got a great facility up in Manchester and, you know, in his facility, it's perfectly normal to play PlayStation. It's perfectly normal for me during a session to be riding a BMX with no brakes around whilst one of my athletes is getting treatment. That's actually like a, a social norm. And if I wasn't doing that, I wouldn't have that connection. If I, if I wrote, if I saw one of the coaches that I work with in the soccer club, riding a BMX around our gym, I'd go nuts because that's not acceptable in that environment. And I think that that's what I mean by this idea of being a chameleon is at the heart, I've still got the way I program is still going to be the same. There's some big rocks, as you talk about that I believe in, 
It's just I wear a different uniform when I go to the mountain bikers to when I go with basketball, to golf, to football. And that's how I think you get the connections and, and the engagement from the athlete and coaches because they can spot when you've not been in their world a mile off. Oh, um, yeah. And that instantly reduces that engagement just by what you're wearing sometimes. Yep, a thousand percent. Now, before we go further, Darren, I know you're going to listen to this, and this is the third show you've been brought up on, and you've been dodging me until I come over there and play Mario Kart. I want you to know I'm working on it. You do, you do know that there's kind of an unwritten rule in the UK that everyone has to mention Darren, otherwise he gets very upset. He has like a little mention. He has a mention count on each podcast or each conference presentation zero mentions of me and he gets very upset so none of us like him it's the only we just do it just to placate him really <laughs> well he's been he's been dodging me for a second we've we've talked quite a bit on all the platforms and um i mean the the, the men and women he get to work with I, yeah he just... he'd be he'd be a great person to speak to because when you've got people that are sort of you know navel gazing about hamstring injuries and then you look at the severity of injuries that his action sports guys work with and how he gets helps get them back to performing and the, the kind of wild crazy individual that he works with that makes a hamstring just look like the easiest rehab in the world so he he'd be a really good person to to get on and he he plays the i'm not the smartest guy in the world he's he's switched on yeah that's that's what i've heard so he keeps giving me the business about i got to get over there uh, check it out, you know, and, and Daz and Chris and some of those guys have been giving me a hard time. So hopefully, hopefully sooner than later, uh, that's something that I'll be able to do because little does he know, I've, I've got my share of Nerf guns too. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if they'll get it through TSA, but it'll be, it'll be fun trying to bring those into England. But so, Nick, let me get you out of here on this, man, because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of heavy here. Where can people see more of what you're doing? Where can people find out more? You know, like there's not a lot of strength coaches that can say they've done a TED talk. Like, where can people see more of what is behind Nick and what he's been doing and building and 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 he's got going on? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just in the process of sort of updating the website, but there's nickgrantham.com, which is going to get a bit of a revamp. But that's kind of got some of my random thoughts over the last sort of five six years so that's that's probably a good place to look at some of the blog posts that i've put up there um social media on insta so uh, that's zer0226 um and then twitter coach nick g so i guess those are the the usual sorts of places that people can find us if if people are interested in sort of like books um i wrote uh, the strength and conditioning bible it's a very low-key title thanks to the publishers for putting that one out there um but uh i wrote that book originally for for the the end user the person that i was seeing in your big box gym not training particularly efficiently um and and i believe that everyone can train like an athlete and that's kind of the strap line everyone can train like an athlete so the nice thing about that book is a lot of young SNC coaches and allied health professionals have been picking that book up as well and saying actually it's quite a good resource because the, the way I talk is not super scientific. I talk about weird stories and metaphors and analogies and it kind of hopefully it makes a bit more sense. That That's another place. 
And then if if people are starting out in the profession, whether it's strength conditioning or or sports science, I wrote um, "You're Hired: An Insider's Guide to Strength and Conditioning," which could be any any sports science service really. But that's a book that I wrote for charity. Um, I had a young intern that worked with me who sadly passed away uh, from cancer and was an amazing strength and conditioning coach, had a lot of potential uh, ahead of him. So we wrote that book and we donate um, all the proceeds to uh, Marie Curie, which is a cancer charity in the UK, and also for an award in his name through the UK SCA. So each year um, the emerging strength and conditioning coach gets a, a bursary to go and do some CPD overseas. So, you know, if you... If you're going to buy any one of those books, get the Your Hired book because it's all for charity. And uh, it, it's it's there's some good stuff about how to get a job and how to network and all those sorts of skills. Again, that I don't think get taught as well as they should be at university. I was very fortunate that on reflection, like my dad was like the best person at like telling me how to write CVs and covering letters and job applications and you know, those hours that you used to spend with me, I didn't even realize. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. But actually going back at how he prepped me to to do the important stuff was, was massive. I love it, man. And we'll make sure we got all that linked down below. Nick, this is absolutely fantastic, brother. I can't thank you enough for your time, man. No worries, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Cheers. Well, we'll be in touch real soon, brother. Okay. Take care. Thanks. And a huge thanks to Nick Grantham for spending the time with us today. Guys, some really, really sensational gems. A lot of things to make you think and take a step back and really kind of evaluate how you're communicating and moving forward with your athletes. You know, the ideas of, of nonverbal communication are, are things that I think that we like to talk about, but we don't really look at even like how we dress as opposed to, you know, working with one team versus another like Nick, uh, Nick talks about or even just using their language and being on the same page with how they speak with each other. I know, you know, there's times where we talk about how we're older and we don't quite necessarily understand the lingo, but, you know, it may be a little bit more important than we're thinking. So some awesome gems in there. Nick, I can't thank you enough for spending the time and being so open, honest, and candid with us today, buddy. It was, it was a sensational talk. Thank you so much, brother. Um, and guys, make sure you get over there, nickgrantham.com slash you're hired. That's your, Y-O-U-R-E dash hired uh, to pick up that book for, for charity because it's, uh, it's for an awesome cause to help the profession move forward and to help young coaches get better. So check it out. Make sure you're picking that up. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Guys, again, we're just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. So if there's any way that you can share it or if there's anyone that you feel could find value from this talk, please pass it along, share the wealth. We're just trying to do what's best for all the coaches out there. So thank you so much for those of you that have done that. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.